say this lightly, and I don't say this uh, in every church I go to, but man, God's presence is here. God's presence is here. And um, this morning, I, I'm actually going to speak about something I've never talked about before. And I feel a little bit vulnerable going out there because I was like, Lord, are you sure you don't want me to just preach something that I've preached before? I'm very comfortable with these seven or eight topics, but I felt very strongly uh, this week a particular word for this church. And, and I don't say that lightly as well, but uh, the Lord really wants me to challenge us this morning, including myself. Just a very simple thought, soften your heart, soften your heart towards God. Now I want to uh, dive into that immediately, but before I do, um, I want to introduce kind of my family. They're not here today because like a lot of them are sick. Um, So I I have this picture here. This is my family. Uh, That's my wife, Corey, and we have four children. Listen, I have four kids under the age of 12. I have not slept in a decade. No, I'm serious. No joke. It's like they all take turns to keep us awake at night. And uh, But just like any good Asian father, I named my boys good, strong Jewish names. Come on, somebody. Uh, threw my whole family for a loop. I got Malachi there, which means God's messenger. I got Micah on the left, which means who is like Jehovah. And then I got my little boy right there, Levi, which means the sh- uh, harmony with God. And then, of course, my beautiful daughter with blonde hair. I don't know where that came from. And, uh, and blue eyes. Her name is Maya. Now, I named the boys. But I figure, you know, for the daughter, I let my wife name her. I said, you know, babe, look, I named the boys good, strong Jewish names and uh, definitely have a call of God in their life. You can name uh, the girl. And she came up with Maya, M-A-I-Y-A, which basically means, you ready for this? Rice Valley. Pray for her, somebody. And, uh, you know, the biggest fear in my life right now, in the season that we are in, because we are in the thick of parenting, and the biggest fear that I have, and every parent is insecure to a certain degree, and we have fears to a certain degree. And may I just help you and bless you by letting you know, yes, we, every family has some sort of dysfunction, and every child's going to need some sort of therapy. So let's just throw that all out there, all right? So we're not perfect, but my biggest fear is, am I raising good children? Like, that's my biggest, like, are they obedient? Are they going to follow Jesus? Am I doing this right? That's my biggest fear in this current season. You know, when I didn't have children, I had other fears, but but now we have these four kids under 12, and I'm just like, man, are we parenting right? Are we leading them? Are we modeling the gospel for them? Is it true? Are, are they going to obey God? Are they going to have their own faith, not, not a grandfathered in faith? They can't live off my faith forever. They can for a season, but will they have their own encounter with Jesus? Like, this is my biggest fear, and, and, and I have a 12-year-old boy. He's going on 13, and he's at that stage where he has to now break out of orbit from parents and, and, and kind of experience life and consequence on his own. And my biggest fear is, man, if you go out there, you know, like, are, are we doing this right? Have we done enough? Any other parents agree with me? And I was so discouraged because the Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus is the great high priest, right? And he empathizes in our weakness. He sympathizes. Like like he was made a human being so that he can identify with us. And the Bible says that he knows exactly what we're going through. But even as I read that scripture in Hebrews, I thought to myself, well, not everything. Like Jesus can't understand everything. I mean, he was never married. He didn't have kids. Does he really understand what it's like? I mean, I wouldn't say that arrogantly to God. I just had this little seed of doubt like, Jesus, but you don't, I mean, you didn't raise children. And then one day, 
I was reading the book of Isaiah, and then I realized that God has raised kids. And it was the nation of Israel. And, and, and you fast forward to the new covenant in the New Testament, God has kids, and it's you and I as believers. But I want to read the book of Isaiah because this encouraged me in, in, my, in, in, in raising these children in such a crazy world. I, I started saying, wow, God, you know, you truly do know my fears. And you truly have experienced parenting as well. And I want to read this together. This is Isaiah chapter 1. It's a little bit long, but it's the main text for today. So bear with me. And it's called a rebellious nation. And it says this, hear me. You heavens, listen to me, for God has spoken. And this is the first thing he speaks. He says, I have reared children and brought them up, but they've rebelled against me. The ox even knows its master. The donkey knows its, own, its owner's manger. But Israel does not know me. My people do not understand me. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken their God. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel. They turned their backs on Him. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in your rebellion? Your whole head's injured. Your whole heart's afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there's no soundness in your body. Only wounds and welts and open sores, not even cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Your country's desolate. Your city's burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before, right before you. Laid waste as when overthrown by strangers like a city under siege. Hear the word of the Lord, you people. Anyone discouraged yet, by the way? It's going to get better. Don't worry. I'm coming to bring hope. The, the multitudes of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough burnt offerings. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this of you? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incest, it's detestable. I can't even stand your worthless assemblies, your feasts, and your appointed festivals. I hate them with all of my being. This is God speaking. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. In fact, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the, defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. In the last three verses, come now. Let's settle the matter, says God. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they're as red as crimson, they'll be like wool. If... You are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword, says the mouth of God. Wow. That is a heavy portion of scripture. It's a little bit discouraging initially, but when you look at the heart of God, you say, whoa, he is truly a father, not like a father. It's not metaphorical. He is a literal father who has chosen for himself a people. And this was the old covenant. So this was the nation of Israel. And his children that he brought up, he was raising. They got to a point where they resisted and rebelled against him. And so he allowed all of those things that he mentioned, all of those curses, from the sole of their feet to the top of the head, there was no soundness in the, Their bodies were afflicted. Their country was laying desolate. All of the things that were going wrong could go wrong because they were resisting and rebelling against But a true father, just like God is, he says, hey, listen, let's settle this matter. 
as a father would to his son or to his daughter. Hey, come, come over to the house. Can we talk and can we get things right? I've allowed all these things to get your attention. Have you had enough of this silly living? Don't you understand everything's going wrong in your life? See, we're praying for God to take us out of our circumstances, but God's like, no, 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 I'm using those circumstances to drive you back to me. And like a good father, can we settle the matter? And what is the matter? It's always a matter of the heart. He says, your heart, like like that's what I'm after. It's not about rules and regulations and do this and don't do this. He goes, but your heart, the disposition of your heart, stop resisting and rebelling. Could you soften your heart and just be willing and obedient? He goes, in fact, if you would just soften your heart, I, the impetus is now on him, I will wash your sins. I will clean up the mess. In fact, I will restore everything that has been broken. I'm from an inner city church, and so if you don't shout amen every now and then, I think you're sleeping. Come on, somebody. All right, thank you. Thank you. I just need some sort of feedback. Malachi, throw something at me. You can even say this. Say, preach, big boy. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I just... The progression is this, God raised up children, they rebelled, they forsook him, they turned their back on him, God allowed judgment to fall upon them, and and, and the children thought that they could just worship and sacrifice their way out of it. Hey, let's just just give a little more on the offering plate, let's just try to bring a little more sacrifice, a little more blood, but God was just weary of that because he didn't have their heart. He wanted to settle the matter, and he put this conditional settlement in there. He said, if you would just be willing and obedient, then I will do everything. But if you resist and rebel, man, you're going to be devoured. You see, God's plan for your life, okay, if you and I were to go out to coffee for an hour, conversations would be great. I would say, hey, so what are you passionate about? What, what's exciting you these days? What are your dreams, man? Tell me your story. What has God done in your life? But eventually I would get around to this question, like, so what's your plan? Like, like what, what, do you, what, what do you want God to do in your life? And your plan may be this, like, Lord, I'm praying occupationally, A, B, or C, Lord. Do I go to Genentech, Facebook, Google? Like, I need you, Lord, to answer these three things in God's plan for your life. Although occupation is very important in God's, he cares about where you work. He cares about what you do. Work is not a part of the curse. Work was instituted before the curse. It is a blessing to work. But it's not God's plan for your life. You know God's plan for your life? It's to conform you into the image of Christ. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. God's plan, you see, we are always praying, God, A, B, C, and God is always replying, three. It is not even in the equation because his ultimate goal for your life is to conform you into the image of Christ. So that begs the question, well, who is Christ? What's, what was he like? In fact, what is he like? Because he's still alive. Who is he? Who is Jesus? Well, If you want to know Jesus' attitude and the disposition of his heart, if I had to paint a picture, think of a willing servant. That's who Jesus is. Jesus has a soft heart. Jesus has a willing spirit. Jesus has an obedient disposition. Jesus is not arrogant. Jesus is not a rebel. Jesus is not a fighter. 
Jesus is a lamb. Yes, he's also a lion, but he is mostly a willing servant. Prove it. Look, just if you want to know who Jesus is, read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It talks about imitate Christ's humility. That Jesus was equal with God, yet did not even consider that. And then he humbled himself from the, man, he was the darling of heaven. He was equal with God. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to humble myself to become a human being. And he lived among us. And he, he was spit upon and beaten and, and, and put to death while he was innocent, folks. While he was innocent. You and I, we get falsely accused online. What do we do, man? We get into anger mode. We fight back. We, and Jesus never said a word. Like a, like a sheep led to the slaughter. Never. That's his heart. Soft heart. In fact, he even wrestled with his callings like in in the Garden of Gethsemane, right when he's about to go to the cross, he said, God, I can't do it. Is there any other way? He's just like you and I. Don't we do that? God, is there any other way? Do I really have to do that? Please. Yet Jesus' heart, you know what his heart was? But not my will. Your will be done. Because his heart was soft toward God. He wasn't entitled. He wasn't angry. He wasn't rebellious. He wasn't disobedient. He wasn't arrogant. I mean, think about John 13. Right before he was about to go to the cross, he's at the Last Supper. He's having the last meal with his disciples. And the, I love this verse because in John 13, the Bible says that Jesus finally understood. Jesus recognized that God had put everything under his feet and under his control. Okay, so, so think about having dinner with your friends right before you're about to go to the cross. This is what it, and, then, and then all of a sudden coming to the cognizant fact that all authority is now yours. My question to you, before we understand what Jesus did, my question to you is this. What would you do right now if God gave you all authority? <laughs> Me? Season tickets to the Warriors. But anyways, that's, that's neither here nor there. I would probably leverage my authority to get what I want, please my desires. Or how about this? Take out a few people that have offended me. Come on. I'm just being real. I have all authority. You mean, God, I have all authority? You, you have hurt me, and now. I mean, that would just be, I wouldn't kill him. I mean, I don't want to, but maybe just hurt him a little, you know, you know, just, just with a limp. What did Jesus do when he finally realized he had all authority? This is what I love about Jesus. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And he washed his disciples' feet. Some of you here, you may not be a Christian. You're you're searching for a God to follow. You're searching for a meaning. And I'm telling you, if you don't remember anything, you don't have to remember this church's name. You don't have to remember my name. You don't have to remember the three points we're going to give. It doesn't matter. Just know this. Jesus is the only one worth following. Because there's no other God that would lay down his life. And I don't say this lightly, but why would you want to follow Buddha? The boy doesn't have enough discipline to exercise. Come on. And I come from a lineage of Buddhist family, so I don't say that to offend you. I'm just here because if this is the last time I'm going to see you, I'm going to tell you the truth. Jesus is the only one worth following. He is. He had all authority and didn't even do anything with it except serve. Think about this. Pontius Pilate, a guy he created, said to him, don't you know I have the authority to set you free or kill you? And Jesus 
He goes, I, you know, I got to tell you something. I, you wouldn't have any authority apart from my father giving it to you. And that's all he said. He didn't knock him out. He could have called 10,000 angels to annihilate Pontius. He didn't do any of that. He was a humble. In other words, Christ's heart was and is soft toward God. And God's plan for your life is to be like him. See, this morning, God's after your heart. He's after your heart. What's been going on in your heart? Is it hardened? Because our hearts, it's kind of like Play-Doh or clay or almost anything in life. It's like the law of entropy. Anything left to itself deteriorates. It's like Play-Doh or clay. If it's left unattended, if it's not put back in its seal, it gets hardened. And our hearts are like that because our hearts are created things. And so if we don't attend to it daily, if we don't pay attention to it weekly, over a course of time, things harden it. That's why we continually need to maintain it. It's like a fire. If it's left to itself, it eventually dies. A fire needs stoking. A fire needs the flame. You need to work on even the most biggest raging fire. It even needs work, and so it is with our heart. What hardens our heart? Circumstances, just life in general. If our heart is left unattended, circumstances begin to harden our hearts. We get bitter. We read the news, we watch the news, we get even more bitter. Difficulty, disappointment, hurt, bitterness, rage, injustice in the earth, offense. That's the biggest bait of Satan. Someone that offends you and you bite that bait and you put it right in your heart and you leave it there unattended. Have you not read what it says in the New Testament that a bitter root of judgment will grow up and defile many? You got to take that offense. And it's work, but you take that offense and you lay it at the cross and you say, Lord, if you weren't offended, I can't be offended. Because uh, I'm supposed to be conformed in your image and yet you had a soft heart. And people that spit on you, you love them. Okay, okay, no one's physically spit on me. Okay, it's not so it's not that bad. They just said this and this and this, but they also said worse things about you. Okay, God help me. It's, it's, it's a matter of the heart. But see, if we, don't, if we leave it unattended, entitlement, sin. Our own evil desires, it hardens our heart. So the question isn't, God, why do I have to go through this? No, the question is, God, how can I keep my heart soft while going through it? Because we're all going to go through it. The reality is, in God's plans, he allows difficult circumstances and seasons for a reason. It's to wake us up. It's to settle the matter. God will use circum... I was a youth pastor for nine years in the Tenderloin. I could tell you like clockwork, when the Holy Spirit was after a young person, I told them like clockwork, I'm like, okay, listen, if you truly want to follow Jesus, I'm going to tell you what's about to come, man. Persecution from your family, hardship in your school. I, and I'm not preaching negativity, I'm just saying that, listen, like when it's about to settle accounts with the Lord, you're going to have to go through what's called the testing of your faith. Otherwise, it's just words. I said, but if you can hold on to the Bible and hold on to the Holy Spirit, turn on some worship music, you will get through and you will come out gold. Now, let me just say this side note. God is not the author of death. God is not the author of sickness and injustice. Don't ever wake up and say, God gave me this sickness. No, that is a result of Satan and the curse. We live in a fallen world. So God, although he's not the author of those things, though, he does allow it 
Because sometimes it drives us back to him till we get to a place where we say, okay, God, okay, circumstantially, I've had enough. I'm cornered. Can we settle this matter like Isaiah 1 says? My heart, he's after your heart. Because our human tendency is when we experience relief, we harden again. It's like the old hymn says, our hearts are prone to wander. But like any good father would, he wants to settle the matter. And that's what's happening today. He wants to settle the matter. So our only job, our only job in settling the matter, God will put the impetus on himself to clean up the mess, to wash away the sins. God can restore any life. I, I'm telling you, some of you think you just don't understand, Mr. That what I have done. In my, no, no, no. God can restore anyone and anything that you have done. I'm, I'm telling you, it's not a fable. This is the absolute, it's probably the only true thing on the earth that God is real and God can heal you and restore you. He can. And he says, I will do the heavy lifting. But will you soften your heart? Will you soften your heart? Our only job is to soften our heart. You know, I used to be afraid when I was younger about God's sovereignty. I don't know if you guys ever thought about it, but like scriptures were, where it said like God would harden Pharaoh's heart. And I used to freak out. I'm like, well, then who, who could stand a chance? If God just hardened some, some guy's heart, like why then would he judge him later? I mean, he hardened it. And, and I never understood until I really read and dove in. And, didn't, and I didn't understand this concept. But even in the Exodus narrative where God says, where it says that God would, would, would harden Pharaoh's heart, I didn't realize just how many times initially Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And even amidst every single plague, especially the biggest one, the plague of the, the death of the firstborn, even amidst God's judgment, he always provided an escape. He always provided the Passover. He always will allow a way out. He just asks you to soften your heart. You see the heart, when you look at Pharaoh, whose heart was continually hardened, we're able to see that we're, we're kind of like him. When we speak of the heart, we're speaking of the interior life of Pharaoh. You read Exodus, he, he, he would one day say, okay, okay, God, let's do it. I'll obey you. The nation of Israel can go and worship. And then all of a sudden, relief would happen. He goes, oh, you hardened his heart. Get back over here. It's almost like he was bipolar in that narrative. It was, it was basically a reflection of his interior life. See, the heart in the Hebrew scriptures is the controlling center of human action. It's the seat of the interior life. It's someone's thoughts, intellectual activity, their, their effective aspects of their personality is all regarded as issuing from the heart. Now a hard heart connotes the willful suppression of the capacity for reflection. In other words, a hard heart is someone who doesn't take time for self-examination. To take unbiased judgments about good and evil. In short, the hardening of the heart is very synonymous with the numbing of the soul, which then leads to a condition of moral decline. That's basically what you have in Pharaoh. His heart is so hard, he doesn't even stop for self-examination. He never checks his own judgment. He has no moral compass. No moral compass. His soul is shriveled and his heart is hard. And every time he saw relief... He hardened his heart again. Have we ever done that as Christians? Let's be honest. I've done that. 
You know, I always like to say that it's in the emergency room that we make all these promises to God. Oh, God, if you could just get me out of this, I promise I'll do boom, 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 boom. It's in the recovery room we fail to fulfill those promises. It's like we make all these oaths. That's why Jesus said, don't make vows, man. Just let your yes be yes, your no be no. Like, we make all these promises, God, I promise. And then all of a sudden we experience relief and it's like, uh, that's no longer, like, I don't feel the need to follow through on that. We go back and forth. And that's why Proverbs 4.23 is so vital in our walk with God. It says this, above all, guard your heart for everything flows out of it. You know, one way that you can know what's going on in your heart is realizing that there's a huge difference between God's judgment and God's discipline. You want to know the difference? It's very simple. If you're under God's judgment, your heart hardens you. It makes you angry at everyone and everything. If you're under God's discipline, you're under God's refining, your heart softens you. You become pliable. You're useful. A soft heart can be molded. The, the refiner's fire, it burns out all the impurities, but then it also softens the metal so that God can make it whatever he wants it. My question to you is, are you pliable? Are you moldable? Or are you stuck? Are you dead set stuck in your way saying, I don't care, come hell or high water, this is who I am. I have people tell me, I'll never change. I'm like, oh, sounds like God's judgment to me. Give me just one man or one woman that says, look, I got all these issues, but God, I'm willing. I'll take that guy any day. I'll take that guy or that girl any day. Why? Because God can work with a soft heart. How do you soften your heart practically? I'm a very practical guy because it's like, great, great, great. That, okay, I agree. I agree. Now what? Well, practically, how do you keep your heart soft? How do you maintain your heart to be soft before the Lord? Can I just say it starts with take time for self-examination. I truly believe number one of the biggest attacks of, of, of Satan against Christians is busyness. Stop it. You are not that important. Oh, company will fall apart if I don't show up to work. Stop it. There have, look, this is how I, I have a litmus test. So, okay, look, so Solomon built a billion-dollar temple for God. I have not done such big things, okay, so I am not that important. That's just how I think about it. That's just me. You got to have your own litmus test. You're not that important. You can carve out a day. In fact, some of you, this is your practical thing. You need to carve out one solid day and go to Baker Beach or Ocean Beach or Stinson Beach. I don't know, that might be a nude beach now. I don't know. San Francisco's changing, guys. I don't know. Don't go to that one. Just, just stick stick to Baker Beach or Ocean Beach or Pacifica. Stay away from Stinson. And you just need to carve out a day and put it in your Google calendar and turn off your darn phone and get alone with God again. And stir up that first love again. In fact, another practical thing I wrote down here, how do, you, how do you soften your heart toward God? Remember your BC life, your before Christ life. Just, just take a day to self-reflect and remember what you were before you met Jesus. How we were stuck in our sins. We were in filth. We were dead in our transgressions. We were by nature an object of wrath. We were on our way to hell and God just said, in my mercy, in my grace, I'll lift you up, I'll clean you up, put my robe of righteousness on you and now you're seated with Christ. It's like just a day of that 
should soften our heart. Forgive those who've offended you. That's how you keep your heart soft. Humble yourself before God. Lay down your rights. We don't have rights as Christians. Lay it down. And we look to Jesus. I think the most important way of keeping our heart soft is to worship. Because the more we look at Jesus and the more our eyes are fixed on him, we all of our rights and entitlements and offenses and, 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 and sins begin to diminish because it's like we can only become what we behold. And the more we look at him, the more we'll bear his nature. Also community. If your only circle of friends is non-Christian, man, you ain't going to make it. I'll just tell you that straight up. You need Christians to surround you and encourage your faith. I'll read it right now. In Isaiah 1, it says, we all have an opportunity to be willing and obedient and not resist and rebel. Hebrews chapter 3, as I'm, as I'll tell you one story and then we'll close. But let me read this scripture first. Hebrews chapter 3. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, what? Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my way. So I declared on oath in my anger, they should never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold original to our conviction, the one we had at the very end, excuse me, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion. I close with just this simple story and then I want to pray for us and the worship team will lead us. This is my friend Joe. I'm going to show a picture of my friend Joe. Uh, Joe, he's known me since I was uh, uh, just a young boy, 13, 14 years old. And again, my dad had a church in, or has a church in the Tenderloin District, and so I grew up in the Tenderloin. And I've known Joe for many years, 20 plus years. Joe was like many of us. He would run to God in desperation when he had hit rock bottom. And then when he'd cry out to God, please save me, take this from me, deliver me. And he would experience a bit of relief. He hardened his heart again and went back his own way. In fact, Malachi, come up here. I want to show you just very practically like a visual. Malachi, take this end. This is my son, Malachi. Thanks for wearing sandals to church, son. Of course, I'm being sarcastic. This, these papers here, in fact, there's two more that, that fell out. I just, it, it, the tape broke. This represents. Okay, just hold it like this with two hands here. Just hold it just like that. Do you know what he's holding? And there's two more pages. This is, I carry this everywhere I go because it reminds me of Joe's story. This is Joe's criminal arrest record. He was, from the time I've known him, okay, he was in and out of our church for 14 years. He'd hit rock bottom, he'd come to church. We'd pray for him. We'd minister to him. We love you, Joe. Follow Jesus. I like that. Hit it one more time. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Oh, yes. See, doesn't it just sound more spiritual already? And Joe. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. He was arrested 72 times over the course of 14 years. 
If I read to you some of the stuff in here, it's crazy. My kids only know the good side of Joe. And so they're like, Joe didn't do that. I'm like, no. It's there. Almost anything you can name was in here. He prostituted himself for money. Grand theft auto. Holding people up with guns. I mean, he, anything you can name, he did in the Tenderloin. 14 years, 72 arrests. And that's just the times he got caught. And then one day, he comes to church and he softens his heart. He says, no, this is for real now. I want to follow God. And we say, okay, you know what it's going to take. You have to be a true disciple, man. Got to follow the scripture, pray, be in community. And for some reason, after 14 years, 72 arrests, one Sunday he softened his heart and he never looked back. For the past seven years, for the past seven years, he's been serving in the Diddon City Church with my dad, driving around all over the Bay Area, picking up food as we serve the homeless. He was our number one driver. He's the, he's the first guy to Sunday morning prayer at 8 a.m. We used to have all these young people pray every Sunday morning, and Joe's the first one there. And he's yelling at the young people, you understand what God's done for me, pray. And I was like, wow, that's intense. Pray. You, we'd be in the middle of worship. He'd be running up and down the aisle. It's not for a show. He just remembered what God did for him. He kept his heart soft. He followed God for the past seven years. Two months ago, he, he passed away. This is one of the saddest days, man. Sad, just selfishly, because he was my friend. But I, t- I tell people this all the time. If there was one guy that I knew was so done with this world and belonged in the next, it was Joe. He was a worshiper. Man, he'd be worshiping like this, tears running down his face. And I'm like, Joe, you don't even belong in the tenderloin. He's now, right now in heaven. I don't say that with everyone. Everyone dies and says, oh, he's in a better place. He's smiling. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Not a lot of people can actually show that, but Joe did. I share this story because Ezekiel 36 says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Why was David a man after God's heart? Because when David was was confronted because the father wanted to settle a matter with David after he had committed adultery and murder and God confronted him and said, listen, we got to settle this. Your heart, it's getting hard. What was David's response? He said, God, Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit in me. Restore unto me, God, the joy of salvation. Don't cast me away from your presence. His heart was soft. It was pliable. It was multiple. Would you just close your eyes for a minute? Father, you're after our hearts, God. It's not about do's or don'ts. And we beat ourselves up about all the sin we've committed. And yes, it's it's bad. 
but we bring it to the cross and we want to settle the matter. You're a good father. And so many times we just harden our heart toward you. We harden our, we get so entitled and so arrogant and so prideful and so offended and so stuck in our ways and no one can move us. And we, we dig our heels in the ground and it's our human nature and it's our heart of stone. But today you always provide a way of escape, even in judgment. Just pray Hebrews 3 upon us, Father. Today, if we hear your voice, let us not harden our heart as we did in the days of rebellion, but let us encourage one another daily so that, Lord, we can have a soft heart toward you. Father, I pray in this room for the prodigal to come home today. I pray for in this room for the Christian that's been saved for 30, 40 years and their heart is still hard, soften it today. I pray that we will take the step toward you to settle the matter and soften our heart. We love you in Jesus' name. Yeah. 